Church, uh, we are finishing up our time in Luke chapter 1 for Advent, and we'll dig back into the letter of Hebrews uh, coming in January. Uh, for now, let's pray, and we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people. I pray for us, God, we're all headed into a week of who knows what, with whatever situations you have before us, and I pray in that that we would remember the reason we come together to celebrate is that God, you yourself, came in human flesh to save us from ourselves, to give us life, to give us life in you, to give us joy, to give us yourself that we might glorify You with our whole lives, that we might enjoy You forever, and that ultimately You're putting the world back the way it's supposed to be. And that started when You showed up in that manger and will come to fruition when You return. And so we praise Your holy name and we just thank You for that. And I just, I just pray for us, God, um, whether, it's a, whether it's an easy Christmas or kind of hard stuff we're coming into, God, that we'd have joy. Whether we're brought high or brought low, we'd have joy in you, Jesus, because we do all things through you who strengthen us. So, Lord, please bless us, help us. Holy Spirit, fill us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. We're in Luke chapter 1, finishing it off. It is an odd week for me because by my own assignment, I have like two verses to deal with today, uh, which is a little less than I'm accustomed to, but... You can bear with me. Uh, This is a weird text to approach, and even kind of a weird time uh, to approach. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like for us to have a subversive Christmas. And when I say subversive Christmas, I don't just mean the Christmas where when you're getting checked out of the line at the grocery store and they say, happy holidays, you make sure to stop and say, no, no, Merry Christmas. And, And you make sure to kind of stick it to them. I'm not talking about having a stick it to them subversive Christmas. Right? I'm talking about having a Christmas that is light in the darkness in the midst of selfishness and materialism and all of the other things uh, that have come to represent this time when we're actually supposed to be celebrating the greatest gift to human beings, uh, Jesus Christ. And here's our problem. Is that at this time of year, some of this stuff can become so novel to us that when we hear something like Jesus Christ is the greatest gift to human beings, we act like a teenager and say, yeah, that, that's nice, great, cool, thank you. And we move along to the fruitcake or... Whatever your mom makes. I don't know. My, my dad likes fruitcake. It's horrible. Um, but, but it's my hope that as we approach this text, as we look at this material, uh, uh, that, that we're not looking just for like a how-to list of like, how do I have a Christ-centered Christmas? Or how do I have a subversive Christmas? Or how do I have a different Christmas? My hope is that as we approach this material, what we do is we adore Jesus. That we come to this stuff that honestly can almost become, you know, like you're going to watch, or maybe, maybe not in your house, but in my house, we're going to watch Peanuts with my kids, and, and the one kid is going to read from Luke, and it becomes such a novelty that they run it on the radio station this time of year, and we all just nod along and say, oh, isn't that nice? That's great. And we kind of move along. Uh, and, and sometimes as Christians, when we're even hearing things like sermons, we're thinking about whether or not we're hearing new information or not. Was that, was that new interesting ideas? Were those new and interesting ideas the preacher presented to me? Was that clever and, and unique and, and fresh? My hope for us today, I'm honestly going to say a lot of things that if you've been walking for Jesus for any amount of time, you have probably heard before. And, and if you haven't heard them before, that's fine. I'm not judging you. I, I want to invite you into the party that is Jesus, and I hope they resonate with you and make your soul sing. 
Um, but for those of us who have been walking and who have heard these things, my hope is not that we would assess whether or not I've said something unique or clever or interesting, but whether or not the truth that's being told to us about Jesus from God's Word stokes our heart in love for Him and in joy. If, if this is wind for our sails, if this is fuel for the fire of our worship of Jesus, God Himself, who really did actually for reals come in the flesh as a human being to save us from ourselves and to give us life. My question is not whether or not I present something you've never heard, but if this makes your soul sing when you get out of bed tomorrow and have to go to work for that one last day before Christmas Eve. You don't want to work tomorrow. Nobody wants to work tomorrow. It's the day before Christmas Eve, right? Maybe it's just me. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. That's all right. And if, you've, if this is new stuff, maybe, maybe it's Christmas and you're like, oh, it's the day you're supposed to go to church, and so I'll come to church sometime. That maybe you'd stop and listen. And maybe you're like, I know what he's going to say. He's going to say the stuff that Peanuts says. But my hope is that you stop and you listen to this good news that we're announcing, this truth about who Jesus is, and you consider who he is and know that he's who he said he was. Let's go ahead and dig into the text. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 1. We've worked our way through Mary's song. It's a beautiful song if you're not familiar with it. I'd encourage you to read the rest of it at home. Uh, but we're just going to look at 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the crescendo of Mary's song. I'm going to read it one more time. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he's spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is one of those times where I have to encourage you to stop and read it slowly. Uh, because if we read it quickly, uh, we'll miss what's actually happening here. Uh, let's just take the first, the first half of 54 and look at it. He has helped his servant Israel. Israel. Um, we are dealing with Israel living as first century Palestines, uh, Palestinians living under the, the hegemonic rule of Rome. The superpower has taken over their home. The Romans are in control, and things honestly are not looking all that great for God's people. When it says Israel, we're talking about God's people here, and God's people are in a bad spot. They're in a really, really bad spot. Uh, we could go into more than that, but really what you need to know, things are really, 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 really bad. It's like at the beginning of Ruth. Uh, it says, in the time of the days of the judges, in the Hebrew it says, in the days of the judging of the judges. What he's trying to emphasize is, things are bad, things are crazy, right? And they're in one of these times where things are bad and things are crazy. But she says this amazing thing. He has helped his servant, Israel. Now, if we don't read it slow, we're going to think what he's talking about is this other stuff that she's going to talk about in a minute. But that's not what she's talking about at all. She's talking about right here, right now, the experience that she is having. She has Jesus in her tummy. She is going to be Jesus' mama. And Jesus is the one who's been promised uh, from back in the day, throughout the whole of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, whatever you want to call it, um, who's been promised that there's one who's going to come and he's going to wipe every tear from every eye. There's one who's going to come and he's going to pay the price for sin. And there's one who's going to come and he's going to fix all the things that we broke. I mean, that's the promise of Jesus. You've broken some things in your life. He's the one who does cleanup. He's the one who fixes them. We've run and rebelled from God, and He's the one who chases us and finds us and pursues us and gets us and saves us. He rescues us. Right? 
Now, what's interesting is she's using a past tense word, has helped. Wait a second. Where, what, but didn't you just say? What did I just say, right? Roman hegemonic dictator controlling first century Palestine from far, far away, and bad things are happening all around them. Every once in a while, they have a little skirmish they can kick up. But really, at the end of the day, they are, this is a police state, and they are in control, and things are bad. What do you mean he has helped? They're still in charge. They're still in control. Things are still as they are. What do you mean he has helped? Mary has done something interesting. So we get Luke's version of Mary's song. Mary probably didn't speak Koine Greek. She may have. But needless to say, she probably didn't speak the song in Koine Greek, which our Bible's originally written in. That's not her heart language. I, I, I would imagine she's speaking in her heart language, which would have been Aramaic. And he's written down, and Luke has written down and translated this for us. And the thing about it is this is actually a really Hebrew-ish, I just made up that word, perhaps, uh, Hebrew. It's a very Semitic, it's a very Hebrew poem. The, the pattern is very, very much like a psalm. And what she's doing here is speaking in what would be called, in fancy talk, this is the prophetic perfect tense. And you say, what is the prophetic perfect tense? Don't worry about it. What it means is she's speaking past tense about things that are going to happen because when Yahweh, the God of the Bible, says they're going to happen, they are going to happen. When God says yes, the answer is never no, period. And so she's speaking about these things that are going to happen because the baby that's in her tummy that haven't happened yet. Because why? He's still in her tummy, right? But she speaks about, you have helped your servant Israel. She knows the promises. She knows what God has said. And she knows that they are as good as done because the baby Jesus is here. That's good news. What do I mean by this prophetic perfect? There's a perfect example of this. And I will go to it again. It's Christmas. We actually just read this one. And Isaiah 9 is one of the greatest examples of this prophetic perfect in the Hebrew language that you will find. And I want you to hear it. And again, be careful. Walk carefully, brothers and sisters, that you don't just tune it out because it's Christmas and you're like, oh yeah, everybody has to put that on their Christmas card. It's either that or Matthew, uh, Matthew 1, one or the other. It goes on their Christmas card because we're Christians and uh, Rudolph won't cut the mustard, right? So, so don't just tune it out, but listen to what it says. And think about it in this, this prophetic perfect. He's saying these things in a past tense tone, but none of these things he's talking about has happened. Pay close attention. None of the things he's saying has happened has happened, but it's, he's saying it all as if it was, has happened because when God says yes, the answer is never no. Let's look at it. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness, past tense, have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep, deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they, uh, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as in the day of Midian. Past tense. Now what's amazing about that little piece that I just read, that, that idea of burden, that, that burden piece, that's a very particular word and it, it means something special and it means taking on someone else's burdens. It's the act of someone taking on a burden they don't deserve for somebody else. And there's another place where that particular word is used, and that's in Isaiah 53. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, Isaiah 53 is a place where it says things like, by his stripes we are healed. He has paid the price for our transgressions. He has helped. It's this great 
thing about the cross, Isaiah 53, go home and read it. And the same language is used there. He's taken our burdens for us because He's so good. He's so good. Because, oh yeah, by the way, Isaiah 9 is talking about the same guy he's talking about in Isaiah 53. That's the other reason it's the same word. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tolman and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And you say, what the heck does that mean? That is an idiomatic phrase that's pointing to the reality that when he comes, war is over. When he comes, everything gets put back the way it's supposed to be. When it comes, when he comes, Isaiah 65 says, the stuff of the hardship and the suffering of this world become like a distant memory. That is how powerful Jesus is as he puts the world back the way it's supposed to be. Uh, It's hard to imagine when you think about the stuff of your life and life with Jesus forever, that there is coming a time when the hardest thing that has happened to you on planet Earth as you stand before Jesus in His glory, enjoying Him forever, becomes, not that it, not that it gets totally recalled and it's gone, but that Jesus is so good and so wonderful when you see Him face to face that that thing seems like a bad dream. That, that thing seems like a... a Distant, bygone memory. What happened back in 85? You kind of have to pull it up. Because it's gone. That's Jesus. For to us, a child is born. He's coming from the point of view of those who are sitting, receiving Isaiah 9. And Mary knows. He's not born yet, so she's kind of sitting in Isaiah 9 too. For to us a child is born, to us a sin is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so she sits here knowing... He's done it the way he said he would. What do we do with the rest of the verses then? What does she begin to lean on then? In remembrance or while remembering his mercy, uh, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Right? She, She trusts what he's doing now, but she leans on what he has done. She looks to the whole story of God's faithfulness from the time that we broke everything and He started fixing it, which is in the very beginning. Uh, well, after the very beginning. Uh, and, and she looks at it and she says, but look what God has done. Look, I mean, my hope for you is that when you hit the hardest time in your life as a Christian, you can look at that moment and you can stop and you can have what's called an Ebenezer. And that's not just the guy from the Christmas Carol. Uh, but Ebenezer is an idea. He actually has a good name for a grumpy dude. Um, An Ebenezer is a stone or a kind of monument that recalls the faithfulness and goodness of Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Jesus recalls who He is. And it's the hope that we have those Ebenezers because there's times in our lives when it doesn't look like Jesus is the King. God doesn't expect you to pretend like there aren't hard days, by the way. But in those moments, we can look at what He's done and say, look, but He saved me. Look, but He's been faithful. Look what he's true. Look what he did in the lives of his people. Look what he's done in my life. Look what he's doing. And we can look back. And she's pointing back to that stuff, right? 
in remembrance of his mercy. It's the same thing he's been doing from the beginning as he spoke to our fathers. And specifically here to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the nations through you. I'm going to make... I'm going to make you like the star. He kind of uses this different language throughout Genesis. I'm going to make you like the stars in the sky. I'm going to make you like the sand. Have you ever tried to count the pieces of sand on the beach? This is a picture that God gives us. It's a beautiful poetic picture where you're like, I can't. That's the point. Um, my children, the star metaphor is lost to my children because we live in Seattle and we go outside and they're like, count stars. I think I see a satellite. But if you've ever gone camping, which you should in Washington, you get out a little bit, you get out from the, the light pollution, and you just see more stars than you could ever imagine or count. And God said, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing this with the people. I'm doing this through you, Abraham. And Galatians chapter 3 makes it really clear that promise is ultimately fulfilled in what? In Jesus. In his coming. And so in all this, she's leaning on the reality that when God says the answer is yes, the answer is never no. Now, the beautiful thing about that is that doesn't give you like a how to have a good Christmas. That doesn't give you a how to uh, uh, shop for, for Christmas in a way uh, that is more effective or wonderful or, or how to deal with some uh, interpersonal problem uh, uh, around the dinner table, whatever the thing is, right? The point is not to give you a how to live your life. The point is to show you who Jesus is, is for your life. You would adore him and know him and love him. And that, my friends, changes everything. That changes the interpersonal problems at the dinner table, right? That, that changes how you approach presents or food. It changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Everything. And so we have to understand where Mary's at then. Why did she even bring up Abraham? She understands the scope of the story. She understands the scope of what's called redemptive history. Uh, and and if, if you've never heard that word before, it just means the storyline of the Bible. The whole thing. She understands where she sits in it. And this is good news. Uh, I used to say it, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I say certain things over and over again. If you've been part of Anchor for any amount of time, uh, you've probably heard me say that, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Or, or maybe you've heard me say, Jesus saves sinners. And then I unpack it. I use three words so that you can know it. And then I unpack it from ourselves and from sin and from Satan and death to life. To a life in the Holy Spirit. To an indwelt life. To forgiveness. Life. Good, good, good things that comes through Jesus. And the reason I say the same thing over and over and over again uh, is not because I couldn't sit at home and think of a more interesting way to say it. Right? Because then everybody be like, oh, he's so interesting and wonderful. My job is not to make you think I'm interesting and wonderful. My job is to help you grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? And so the storyline, I used to say creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And the more I keep reading my Old Testament, it's your Old Testament too, by the way, but the more I keep reading my Old Testament, what I keep realizing, there really needs to be one more in there. Creation, fall, promise, redemption. And I actually kind of like saying new creation to make sure that we're talking about bookends. He's, he's not just going to make it sort of okay. He's going to make it better somehow, somehow through the cross of Jesus Christ. He's going to make you and this thing and this world somehow... And I'm not playing God here or know the answer to all the questions, by the way. But I read Romans 8 correctly. Somehow this thing is going to be better through Jesus. That's why he came. I, I, I think it's foolish to try and answer some of those questions. It's just the deal. It, somehow this thing is going to be better for having been so bad. The Redeemer is coming and he's going to put it all back the way it's supposed to be. And somehow it's going to be just 
awesome. I mean, sometimes we just run out of words. Wiping every tear from every eye. No more pain, no more death, no more suffering, no more sin. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to imagine a life where I get up, I worship Jesus. I also get to see him face by face in this scenario. It's not really a scenario, in this forthcoming thing that's happening. And I never get short with anyone, and I never get self-protective, and I never do any other sins that I do. And I get to live eternity, enjoying him forever. Creation, fall, promise, redemption, new creation. Okay, so she understands where she sits in the story. God made it good, we broke it, and God, from the time we broke it till the time of Jesus promised, I'm going to come and fix it. I'm going to come and fix it. I'm going to send someone to come and fix it. And she's sitting right on the cusp of his arrival. Kind of depending on how you can. I, my wife's pregnant right now, and so it's that weird thing. Do I have four kids or three kids? I have four kids, right? I have four. One's just in utero, okay? So he's here. He just hasn't popped out yet, Right? Uh, and, and, man, this is so important. This promise piece is so important. Because, uh, you know, one of the other things that Mary's living in, the guys who are kind of running the show, religiously speaking, are these cats called Pharisees, along with these other dudes, Sadducees, and these other guys, scribes. But all of them have pretty much taken what the Hebrew Bible says and made it about what people do. And they've missed that so much of what the Old Testament is not about what you do, but that He's coming. Messiah is coming. Right? And we say Messiah... And you might have no idea what I'm talking about. Messiah. So the word Christ is a transliteration from the word Christos, which is Greek for anointed one, which is the word they use for Messiah. Messiah is God's appointed, anointed, promised one who is coming. And sometimes we lose it because we're used to the word Christmas. And if we called it Messiahmas, well, then we'd be inventing holidays. But if we'd remember it's Messiahmas, don't, don't, like, make a Facebook petition or something, okay? I'm, I, I let it out there. And it's your job to be a good steward with Messiahness. <laughs> don't do anything with it, okay? Don't, do any, don't make Messiahness cards or a website, okay? I'm serious. I will, you will, get in, I will talk to you about it if you do that. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. But the reason we call it Christmas is because we're celebrating the promise has been fulfilled in a baby who came, Messiah. And she knows where she sits in this story. And the beautiful thing is we're sitting in the same story. I don't know if you realize this, but this is your story, right? We're just sitting in a different spot than Mary, right? Mary got to sit. I mean, Mary got to be his mama. That's awesome. That's why it says all, all generations will call her blessed because only one lady got to be Jesus' mama. But you and I get to be Jesus' family. And we're sitting here uh, in, in what's often been called the now and not yet kingdom. The now and not yet kingdom. And sometimes when we say kingdom, we lose the fact that kingdom is shorthand for the rule and reign of this Messiah, Jesus. What do I mean now and not yet? Um, The now is the reality that right now, you are right with God if you are a Christian. Right now, you have full and unfettered access to the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. Right now, If you are a Christian, all of your sins are forgiven. They are all on the cross. 
If you are a Christian right now, you are free. And for freedom, Christ Jesus has set you free. Welcome to the now kingdom of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the now kingdom of Jesus Christ because you're in it. And you have to understand, people like Mary know it's coming. And and they're looking for it, right? With his kingdom comes uh, uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. The law is over. I'm going to put my Torah, my teaching in their heart. And I will, be my, they, I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will walk in my ways. We walk in Jesus Christ's ways because Jesus Christ came and walked in His ways for us. And you are right with God. Uh, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And that's a promise they were looking forward to. You need to understand, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Why do I say that so often? Frankly, because I forget it all the time. That is your relationship with God. God has taken up residence inside of us. The curtain is torn. We have full access to God through the cross of Jesus, full forgiveness, full life. And people like Mary were looking forward. Messiah is going to do this. He's going to do it. And this isn't the spot where then you feel guilty and say, oh, I should probably set an alarm on my phone so I can remember. Hey, by the way, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's therefore now no... Con- I'm actually going to do that. That's actually a really good idea now that I think about it. <laughs> this is your life. Welcome to the now kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to the now messianic reign of Jesus. And it's not yet. All the promises of the Old Testament are coming, friends. They are coming. The new Jerusalem is coming. Every tear will be wiped from every eye. It is coming. It is coming. I don't know when. That's not my job. My job is to be faithful and just be really honestly thankful that I'm in the now kingdom. I'm not even waiting for the now. I'm in the now kingdom. You are too if you're a Christian. And if you're not, friends, today is the day. Today is the day. And because we're in the now kingdom, we, we have the same experience, right? The Bible talks about your salvation in at least three ways, if not more. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved because of this child, Jesus Christ, because of his life and his death and his resurrection. You've been saved. If you're a Christian, you're saved, you've been rescued. You've been pulled out of drowning waters. You were dead and now you are alive. And there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're His. You belong to Him. He is yours and you are His. And He has loved you and saved you. And praise the Lord. Thank you. It's Christmas, right? And you're being saved. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you're a different person probably. If you've been following Jesus, you're a different person than you were five years ago, Right? There's stuff that he has redeemed you from that you didn't know you'd ever be free from. There's stuff that right now you are in just deep, entrenched struggle to that he is saving you from as we speak. There might be something that nobody even knows. He is saving you. He is rescuing you from yourself. The world's telling you a thousand stories that they want you to believe. And the enemy tells you, Satan tells you a thousand stories he wants you to believe. And culture tells you a thousand stories they want you to believe. And honestly, you tell yourself a bunch of stories that you want to believe that just aren't true. And he's saving you from all of these. And he's saving you from, the, from all of it. And it's in process. It's called sanctification. And sometimes you're like, well, I wish I was more sanctified. Yeah, me too. Welcome to the club. But I'll tell you what, he's saving you. 
Yeah, today might be a hard day, but he is saving you. You are saved and he is saving. You are saved and he is saving and you will be saved. There is a day coming in your existence when that fight is over. And it's not because you managed to set your alarm and got in your Bible and did some quiet time. It's because Jesus Christ died on a cross to save you from yourself and give you life. And that's why I set my alarm and get in my Bible and do quiet time. I'm not trying to save myself there. I'm trying to listen to the one who saved me. And I would encourage you to do the same because he's good. And you will be saved. And what's amazing about it, it's not that you will be saved when you've done enough. Right? Jesus, there's, Jesus is there, two thieves next to him dying on the cross. And one of them is making fun of him. And somewhere along the line, he catches the gist. He's like, oh, wait a sec. This guy we're making fun of who's dying on the cross, that's Messiah. Oh, oops. Right? And, then he's, and the guy who goes from making fun of Jesus starts saying to the other guy who's still making fun of Jesus as they're both there on the cross with him, which is the weirdest scene, right? If you actually stop and think about what's happening is that dudes are making fun of the other guy in the middle who didn't even mean to be there. Well, he meant to be there, but you know what I mean. Does that make sense? In a sovereignty way, he meant to be there in a, in a worldly way. Why the heck is he there? Okay? I have to stop and get that clear. That's the first Christian in heaven. You ever think about that one? The guy who's dying on the cross next to him says, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the, that's the team mascot. That's our guy. Right? So it's not that you get to be saved in that completed way when you've done all the, checked all the lists and done all the stuff. It's when Jesus says so. And when Jesus says yes, the answer is never no. You will be saved. Merry Christmas. All this shows us his goodness, his wonder, his amazement, and that we should just adore him. And our tendency is that when we don't believe these things, when we, I mean, like I said, I hope I'm not saying anything that's necessarily like you're like, oh, I'm saved. I've never heard that one before, if you're a Christian. But my hope is that it's fuel for the fire, that you'd respond to Jesus and his wonder and his amazement. And when we don't take this stuff seriously, we supplement his goodness with some other goodness. <coughs> And friends, we tend to worship our way into that. That's a worship act. We find our meaning and purpose and identity from something else. And, and how do I get out of that if I'm stuck in it? You worship your way into it, you've got to worship your way out of it. Right? It's not that you need to try harder not to do the thing that you know is getting in the way between you and Jesus, which is uh, sort of one of those weird things because it's for sure taking you away from your response and your joy. But at the same time, when you just stop and realize not height nor depth nor powers of principality could ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? So the answer is not trying harder. The answer is worshiping more. Is understanding he is better than that thing. He is good to respond to. He is good and he is wonderful. I'm going to share three scriptures I want you just to think about. Because we see from this that he's kept his word. He's done it all and all will be restored. So I'm going to just read three passages. One, he's kept his word. Let's look at Luke. Two, uh, don't even look at it. Just, you can't look at it. I'm not going to tell you what to do, right? Just listen. This is Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 34. So Jesus has been born. His mom has taken him to the temple to present him as was appropriate for Jewish young men at the time. 
Uh, Verse 25 says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon He was waiting for Messiah. It's, It's a nice way to say it, but he's waiting for Jesus. Okay? And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that, the, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We're not told how old he is, but it seems that he's an old guy. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. By the way, if you're not Jewish, that's you. You're included into the family because of Jesus. If you're not born into Israel, you're included into it through his cross. Praise the Lord. But that's another sermon for another time. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Again, he will not live to see Jesus probably preach a single sermon, to heal a single blind person, to cast out a single demon, to calm a single storm, nor will he live to see him die on the cross, raised from the dead, or for Pentecost when the Holy Spirit's poured out, or for the church to explode. He doesn't get any of those things. But he stands and says, what you said, when you said yes, the answer is yes, and it's here. And it's here. Um, Not only that, he's done it all. John. I use my bookmark. John chapter 19, verse 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, and said to fulfill the scripture. Oh, wait, because he knows he's in the same storyline he knows what's happening I thirst a jar full of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and bowed his head and gave up his spirit it's finished it's paid in full is another way to translate that it's done everything that needed to happen for you to be restored to God forever happened 2000 years ago it's finished merry christmas and finally we might adore him revelation 21 verse 1 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Advent means arrival. We're celebrating his first one and his second one. It's not just about the manger. It's about the manger, the cross, and the crown. He came. He lived. He died. He rose He gave us the spirit. He gave us life and he's coming back. Let's pray. 
Lord, may we be joyful. You are good. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Your Messiah, you've come. You have saved us. You will save us. You are saving us. You are God. We love you. I just pray for us, God, that we would stand up and sing with joy, that we take communion with joy, remembering you paid it all, that we'd sing with joy, we'd live with joy, and that our joy in you would overflow in life, would overflow in proclaiming the good news. I know Jesus and he's awesome. Do you want to know him too? You'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. You'd bless, you'd bless us and release us as light this week. We'd make much of your name and we'd live for your glory. And in living for your glory, we would find our joy. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.